Hello and welcome to another episode of Football and Grits. It's Football and Grits Day. Uh, I'm told there's also another another holiday. Uh, I dress today because it's playoff week. We get our first playoff rankings as the college football playoff trophy. I don't know if this is giving the same vibes as uh, Rob Lowe in the NFL hat, uh, but it's the closest we can get. I like it. Yeah, I think so. I I'm not a Halloween guy, Brody. Oh, how many times do you think I've dressed up in my life? Probably Halloween. two, but I'm guessing. But I love three. Halloween. That's close. Three. Yeah. Uh, well, I feel well, like you? perhaps. Uh, well, one time uh, it was like a, a Greek god situation, and then one time this will really date me. I dressed up as uh, American Idol finalist Ruben Studdard after he went on the and this aged poorly. That's a the deep subway, cut. The Subway Jared diet because I was not quite as long. <laughs> Didn't really? age great. But well, at the time, it killed. Uh, and I believe this was like a junior in high school situation. Uh, and then there was one other time that I forget. But uh, my daughter's going as a strawberry tonight. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, well, you're wearing that. I'm dressed in a flannel as a guy, I guess, who eats grits. You know? You know, I don't that know. Or, I think you just look like a sports writer. So nice yeah, costume. Uh, I appreciate it. But, Brody, we got a lot to get to. It's a big yeah, week in the SEC. Week. This is literally week. the biggest week of the year. Uh, until the SEC championship game, I'm not sure we're going to have a bigger week. And to celebrate, Brody, we had to bring in a guest. We had to do it. And we had to bring in none other than Seth Emerson, our Georgia writer. There's some Georgia business to get to. Seth, welcome to Football and Grits. Coming to us mm-hmm. from uh, the glorious Athens, Georgia. College game rainy day in tow. Athens, yeah, it's raining today. here too. Yeah. College game day in tow. More yep. importantly, Seth Emerson also there. Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. A big week. Seth, uh, what are the what are the Georgia vibes right now? Is it sort of uh, we've got the belt and we're fine, or is there a little bit of fear emanating from the uh, from the facility over there? You know, I, I'd say the vibe is a little more uncertainty, like what what to expect here uh, mm-hmm. because it, probably honestly from both sides I, I think it helps Georgia a lot it helps them schematically for what we're going to see Saturday that they've seen Alabama play them, in addition to Kentucky and other teams that you know play good defense try to actually play good defense and so they can they have something on film but I think it also helps mentally as in mm-hmm. that gets Georgia's attention that gets these players' attention that Tennessee beat Alabama. That has the fans' attention. Um, I, I, I mean, you'll you'll hear some fans that are overconfident. You'll hear some fans that are just you know ready to <laughs> just to lay their their money on Tennessee. Um, but I also you, you know you talked about game day. Something I wrote yesterday, and and something I've been thinking you know for a while is that the. Georgia's not going to be in awe of this game. You know, mm. they were just in the national championship. And it's a bigger game. Before that. <laughs> the SEC championship. It yeah. is a big game. On paper, it is the biggest game in Sanford Stadium history. There has never been a top three, both teams ranked in the top three matchup in Sanford Stadium history. On the other hand, how many stadiums have ever seen that? You know, sure. you don't see one versus two or one versus three in the regular season very much. Mm-hmm. Um so the, Georgia's not going to be in awe of this moment. I mean, you know, Notre Dame came in here in 2019 and people 
from outside the Southeast were <laughs> trying to say, oh, you know, Athens has never seen anything like this. I'm like, no, it, you know, it's, it's a big game every week, basically. Every, every time it's an SEC opponent not named Vanderbilt or, you know, certain other teams at the lower end. So, mm-hmm. but, but it's, it's definitely, yeah, I mean, it's got a huge game five. And, and I think uh, an understanding that this is in a lot of ways probably Georgia's not, I wouldn't say season, but regular season, you know, yeah. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but uh, I think if people think about it, I'm not sure a team that loses at home and doesn't make its conference championship game is going to make the playoff. Yeah. I think the winner of this game is going to have a hard time not making the playoffs. Yes. Um, also a tip for fans, anyone listening, remember this week, folks, the polls do not matter. These rankings are the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. I know everybody wants their team to be respected. I- I'm telling you right now, I could go get a roll of toilet paper, write down 25 random teams, and it would have the same amount of relevance as the coaches mm-hmm. poll or the AP poll. The one tonight, the secret poll, the 13 secret people in a room that's not really a poll. It's a it's a summarized ranking. I've written about the process. It's a very weird process that they do to make the rankings. It's the only thing that matters. But Seth, uh, does Georgia care at all this week about that? <laughs> about do, the would ranking? They, would they do they if, if they if it if it comes out Tuesday night and Tennessee's number one, Georgia's number two, do they care? I I, I think it probably depends on the person, but the, the tone of my answer probably tells you that you know I, <laughs> I think I think we go back to this this team has had two very recent seasons where they were number one pretty much the whole time Yeah, mm-hmm. that the playoff rankings were out and much of the, you know, when the AP and the coaches rankings were out in 2017, 2021 didn't stop them from getting their butt kicked by Alabama and the SEC championship then didn't stop them from going and winning the national championship. I, I think that kind of, there's a lot of been there, done that for, for mm-hmm. Georgia. And, al- and also, I feel like we're at the point now where people have learned, like, it all gets figured out. Like, it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. Especially now, this now, week. Who cares where, exactly. like, in, in our internal thing, I was playing with it yesterday. At, at first, I had Tennessee one. Then I, and then I switched up to Ohio State. And then at the end, I went to Georgia. And I, I did that despite the fact that I didn't want to look like a homer. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I looked at it. You're a homer I said, now. Sorry. I think, I think Georgia still has the best win. Like, like Oregon may you not have been that. a neutral site game, but 49-3 is different than a field goal mm-hmm. exchange in the last minute at home. And they have four wins away from home, two of them neutral site. And I think, but yeah, I then think it was like, who cares? Who cares? Like they'll, they'll sort yeah, it out. Who cares? <laughs> and I think, super- that, I think there was, there was a temptation to brand Oregon as a fraud after that game. Yeah. And it has been the exact opposite, but I did want to ask you about that game, Seth, because I think, Georgia's the national champ. They're reloading, and then they make this huge statement in week one. And people are kind of just like, oh, well, Georgia's back. Georgia's great again. Um, Georgia's the best team in the country. And then they haven't really played a real showcase game in the, what, six weeks since then. And they've had a bunch of games. Well, I say a bunch. They've had a few games where you've kind of been like, ah. They've looked pretty good against teams that they have should beat up on, the South Carolinas, the Vanderbilts. The Missouri game, obviously, is the biggest question mark. They looked a little ugly against Kent State until they ran away late. What What do you make of this Georgia team? I, I don't want to say it's as simple as how does this team compare to last year, but 
I think Georgia has a pretty good case, along with Ohio State, as the best overall team to start. I don't think they have the best resume. They probably, I think you can make a case that they have the best win. But overall, I mean, how good is this team, Seth? So they came out of the gates, obviously strong. And I don't just mean Oregon. The you know, next week was Samford. So mm-hmm. 33 no. Um, and then the third week, they went into South Carolina. And you know, it was, I think it, final score was 49 7. Um, Might have been 48 7. Um, and I think a lot of that was the reverse of a hangover of a national championship. It was, are you going to follow this up? Are you going to be as good? And they came out of the gates emotionally strong. Apparently Kirby Smart's offseason message resonated, which was last year's team won the title. You guys didn't. You guys haven't won anything. And then I think after that, you saw the youth on this team, the immaturity emerge where – they do kind of, you know, lay down for a little bit, like for just stretches, like quarters. Um, I think it was the fourth week was Kent State. And honestly, that was a case of turnovers. The total yardage in that game was still way in Georgia's favor. Um, but then everyone expected, all right, now they're going to take out their frustrations on, on Missouri and instead almost lost the game. Since then, you know, I – They've, they've been mostly on point. Um, the Florida game, it was just the third quarter where 28 to three went to 28, 20, but, yeah. but then the offense goes down the field and scores the defense answers. They've, I think the best way to put it is that since the third week, since those first three games and the Vanderbilt game, um, which was wire to wire, uh, they've, they've turned it on when they needed to. It's like they flip a switch and say, okay, wait, we might lose here to Missouri we better wake up now they should have woken up before the fourth quarter they were still down two scores in the fourth quarter um so that but can you flip that switch if you suddenly found yourself down three touchdowns to Tennessee or even two touchdowns to Tennessee and what and I wrote this for my game column Saturday night from Jacksonville we don't know if their ability to you know to, to rally back and to answer is a feature of this year's team. Because remember last year's team never had to do that in the regular season. They beat Clemson in that 10, three game and then rolled in 11 straight. And then in the sec championship, when Alabama punched them in the mouth, what did they do? They folded because mm-hmm. they weren't, you know, they hadn't gone through any of that in the regular season. So is what Georgia is doing this year, a feature as in this team has something that, or is learning something that last year's team didn't have to, or is it a sign that this team does have some flaws that are about to be exposed? So then where are you at with that? Cause I, I think my read is like, they just haven't, even though you're right, like you shouldn't have those quarters. You shouldn't, you know, it, you are a defending champ though at the end of the day, it is hard to get going every week. Like, are you at, are you at the point that going to this game, like they are obviously going to get up for this. This is arguably the first game they've had to since Oregon. Like, do you think they are a team that just, when they come out are probably the best team in the country, or are you at a point where you actually do think there are some of those flaws? I don't, I don't know that they are. I mean, I I certainly don't think they're the best team in the country, but I don't know that there is, there's not a dominant team this year. Uh, And, but I'm not sure we should rule out that Tennessee ends up being that dominant team. Cause if it wasn't Tennessee, a team we've been used to like being average at best, literally, and mostly mediocre, We'd, we'd look at this team and David, like you wrote, like say, this is 2019 LSU. Um, 
You're probably so right. I think we're going to find out a lot on Saturday, ultimately. I, th- I think questions are answered, although I could see Georgia beating Tennessee and then going into Mississippi State the following week <laughs> yeah. and losing. That's a great mm-hmm. call. You should put some money on that. Yeah. <laughs> I said before the year, that was the one that was kind of like, uh, watch that weird one. matchup. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I'm really intrigued. I think uh, my main question, Seth, is, you know, Alabama doesn't have – they're not as explosive as they've been in the past. Um, but this Georgia team is efficient, but they don't – you don't see the the quick strike haymakers that you, that you do – uh, obviously with Tennessee. And I think you're going to see at least a couple of those in this game. I'll be there down in Athens. I'm excited to see this game. I'm excited to see, more importantly, Seth uh, in person. I haven't seen you in a while. Um, but uh, I- I- I'm intrigued to see that. Ken, do you feel like this Georgia team has that inside of them at some point? Are we going to see a Lad McConkie 70-yard score? Are we going to see Darnell Washington stomp someone's face into the dirt and then stiff arm a safety and go 65 yards or because I, I really think coming into this for one I think Tennessee's defensive front is better than people realize and I don't think that that Georgia's going to be able to bully them in the same way that they can a lot of teams I think Georgia will be able to run the ball but not really at will and just 10 play drive 11 play drive I think they're gonna have to hit some balls does this Georgia team have that in them Georgia at parts this season has shown a little bit of everything the first three weeks, it was this quick passing, outside passing, short passing game. They have really emphasized downfield passing the last five weeks, which is, you know, you, you your percentage goes down. You have more risk for interceptions. But every now and then, they'll uncork a big play. They've missed A.D. Mitchell, uh, who was healthy for the Oregon game. Um, he's, he's the guy like George Pickens, people think of downfield passing game and they think of just, you know, put Willie Galt on the end and send him downfield and throw him a pass. No, it's, <laughs> it's not that you need a guy who is a threat both to go downfield, but also to cut short the pattern and catch the sideline pass. You, you have to play that side of the field differently. You have to bring a safety over. You have to play, play a certain coverage. And they haven't had that with AD Mitchell out. And if he can't play this week, that takes away a dimension. But they, they can go deep if they need to. Um, they aren't – yeah, like you said, they're, they're not very explosive, but they're kind of – it's – you know, I, I, I'm not sure efficient, honestly, is a fair way to say it. It's almost like – that's like when people talk about a quarterback being a game manager. Like, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're an explosive offense. They're just yeah. – they're the one difference – is it, they get chunk plays. If you look mm-hmm. at Georgia, I think Georgia may rank first in the nation. I, I wrote it in like plays of 10 yards or more. Yeah. Um, when you go up to 30 yards or more, Tennessee's first and Georgia drops a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the thing with Georgia that's going to be so fascinating is that at different times this year, they've been able to do different things. You know, they, they were able to turn to the run on that one drive against Florida when they needed to, when it got, 28 20 the other night the same way they were able to go to the run at missouri but in that missouri game also bennett hit on some good intermediate passes uh, they've got those tight ends and you can't defend those period but you've you can't throw to them every play uh yeah i mean the big question is going to be can they actually run the ball well enough but we don't know how they're going to try to run the ball because they could go back they could Georgia could end up going back to the way they did it against Oregon and South Carolina, which was runs to the outside, short passes, 
and get guys in space, or they could keep trying to go downfield. We're, we're not really mm-hmm. sure. A preview of later this week on the athletic, I've been talking to coaches around the league about Georgia and Tennessee and, and sort of the uh, both coaches so far, I've talked to a handful, both coaches that I've talked to so far brought up that they felt like Georgia really misses James Cook, which kind of surprised me um, that they don't have a game breaker at running back. What do you make of that assessment? And can Kenny McIntosh go to another level? Is the offensive line good enough to let him look like a game breaker? What are you expecting out of that running game? McIntosh is the closest they have to cook. I I think something they've missed is that Kendall Milton has been out for the better Mm -hmm. part of the last three or four games. Trying to remember off the top of my head exactly how many, but um, they've, they've developed the other guy, Dejon Edwards and, and they're, They've got another freshman who was a top 50 recruit, Ransom Robinson. But those are the younger guys. They need the guys that can kind of complement him, McIntosh, the way that Zamir White did last year. And that, you know, Cook played off that and more in the passing game. And also, like, you know, they also ran him in zone, inside zone, the way they do with Kenny McIntosh because the outside was a threat enough that it was almost a surprise when you send that guy in there. And that's how you break some runs is through the middle with a speedy guy. Um, Kendall Milton isn't like Zamir white. He's, he's more of a athletic guy, but when you have two of those um, it, it helps. I, but they're also built differently. I mean, if you put James cook on this year's offense, that that'd be great. But this year's offense is using the second tight end Darnell Washington more than they did last year. And this year's offense uh, doesn't have Pickens as it did in the playoff run um, or Mitchell like it did during the regular season. But they've 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 got some wide receivers a little more. And and they've they've got a full year of Bennett. like that's that's the other thing is they've got Bennett as the guy who was the quarterback, the number one in the offseason. They could build around him. They're not kind of adjusting the game plan on the fly like they were in 2021 when they suddenly realized we need, we're going to start Bennett this year. It's been built around that. And um, I I think there's honestly a lot of signs that the offense has maybe spent some time. Like they're they're, I'm not going to say sleepwalking or whatever, but there's some times I think that they've, they've tried some things when they may have consciously said, we we think we're going to win this game. So we're going to tool around a little bit and try this, try that. Um, Whereas in the Oregon game, they came out and said, we need to do this to win. And you saw the results. I think that's the right take, by the way. I feel like everyone's like the sleepwalking. It's like, no, they had eight weeks to kind of like figure out how to be more versatile on offense. Mm-hmm. But now I'm going to preface this question with a flaw in the Georgia defense, to be clear, is like they're 50th instead of eighth. So like <laughs> take this with a grain of salt. But the only thing that even like remotely looks like it might be like a question is there's been some explosiveness on defense allowed. You know, like, yeah. I think 70th and run explosiveness allowed. Explain for me, is that an actual problem that you're seeing? Is that something that, you know, that you see Tennessee might be able to exploit? Or is that more outliers in games that they might have been sleepwalking? No, I, I mean – They've given up 22 points to Kent State, 22 points to Missouri, 20 points to Florida. Uh, they didn't give up those kind of points in the regular season last year. I mean, they're just – they're not as dominant. Now, they haven't had Jalen Carter for much of the season. He came back against Florida. He played on third downs, and you could tell right away they were different with him there. If he can play on first downs and second downs against Tennessee, that'll help a lot. Um, but 
in the secondary, they're just they're not as strong. They they don't have Lewis Seen back there. Um, they're they don't have Darian Kendrick, who was also drafted at cornerback. They're 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 solid, I think, in the back. And with Malachi Starks, uh, they have a guy who's five star freshman who's playing like it. Christopher Smith, they have a savvy veteran. Keely Ringo, another guy who's gonna be a first rounder at cornerback. But they're susceptible in the secondary, just like everybody in America. True, <laughs> everybody like. Is Georgia going to give up points on Saturday? Yep. They're going to period. Like I, I, I wrote four weeks ago or something that like Georgia, Tennessee could be a 45, 40 type game. And I had some Georgia fans say, Oh, come on. No way. You know, anybody's <laughs> going to score that many points on the Georgia defense. I'm like, no, there's a way it'll probably happen. And I'll guarantee you right now, if Kirby smarts told you're going to win this game, 45, 40, you go, all right, well, we got the 45. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm going to explore this in a story um, probably today. Like in 2019, Georgia ran into LSU and Joe Burrow, and they thought they had a really good defense that year. They, they, they were decimated the way Burrow and that offense did everybody. How much did they tweak on defense to fight that? A little bit here and there. But, you know, the main thing they did, they went out and got a better offense. By the way, you wrote that that night. You that yeah. night you wrote. They have to change right now. And yes, I, I was looking up yeah. that story that I wrote, and it was very prescient, and not because I'm a smart guy, because I'm not. Yeah. Uh, it was, and and I didn't know they were going to go hire Todd Munkin, but they they did. But they also also started opening up the offense in the Sugar Bowl before Munkin was even hired. That game was a wake up call to Kirby, and the the wake up call is you don't fight these great offenses by. I mean, you, you try to adjust on defense, try to stop them, but they're going to score. You don't adjust by shortening the game with a good running game and man ball and physical and dominating and stretches. You fight them by getting an offense that can answer them. And mm-hmm. they, this 2022 Georgia team has that. 2019 Georgia team did not. I'm very excited for this game, Seth. I, I wrote about it this morning. I wrote it this Yeah. I wrote this morning, you know, in the athletic, I think ultimately there's so many stakes beyond just being a number one versus number two game. From the Tennessee perspective, you have really beyond all doubt, Tennessee is back. Tennessee is not only back, but if Tennessee wins this game, they have a case of the best team in the country, certainly the best wins uh, this historic season. And if Georgia wins, you have no, we can lose five first round picks on our defense, win a national championship, and we're still the king. Like I, it, 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 the the game itself is going to be great, but the storylines around it, mm-hmm. beyond just these are two really good teams, the big picture aspect of it is is very compelling. I cannot wait to see it. I cannot wait to see Seth. Seth, we will let you get to interviews and talk to uh, Kirby mm-hmm. Smart and offer up our subscribers some more insights. Uh, so thank you, Seth, for joining the show uh, and your insight. Thank you for having me. We haven't what, done. We haven't gone deep on Georgia because they haven't had a showcase game. It's been I, like I they're too more... obvious to talk about. So it's like, yeah, it what do we been. say? And then we so we brought you in as exactly. the expert. Final question: You have kids. What, what are you being for Halloween with the kids? Or are you not dressing up? I, I haven't decided if I'm dressing up. Uh, <laughs> I, I may just walk them around. The only thing I I remember last year. I'll leave you with this. Uh, last year for Halloween, a, a neighbor of mine uh, came. A guy wasn't dressed. Just. Uh, pulled down his jacket to reveal a G logo and said, I'm going as something very scary this year, a Georgia fan with hope. Nice. And it worked <laughs> out. Go. So. 
<laughs> That's perfect. All right. Well, th- thank you, Seth. This was fantastic and so informative. We really appreciate it. Yes. Uh, Brody, I don't know if I've told you this. I'm very excited for this football game. <laughs> like, Sorry, I like calling you out when you just say the most, <laughs> You know what? I'm going to say it's going to be a good game. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm gonna listen. I, I know a lot of people are scared to say it, but I, I think this is going to be a game that a lot of people are going to want to watch on Saturday. I know that's a, a contrarian take, but uh, you know it's going to be there. But I, I, I really, it, I love contrasting styles. I think these teams are very, very different. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of points in this ball game, uh, and keep an eye on the athletic because this week I, there's going to be a very interesting story. Uh, I'm already like learning a lot um, about these two teams and talking to coaches around the league about them. So keep an eye on that. Brody. You know what I'm most, wait, I was going to ask one thing though. Like, go ahead. I actually am asking you this from some of your reporting. Like, yeah, and maybe this hasn't come up. Like George, like he said, Georgia can give up points and all that this year. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it, like they are the best in the country at stopping teams, you know, in the, inside the 40, right? Like they, they'll, you can get your yards, Oregon, you saw it. Right. But you're not, that's what, and I feel like there's a miss, like 2019 LSU was the year that I think we all finally got a little smarter about this. It's like, Guys, modern defense is not holding teams to 200 yards. Like, that does not exist anymore. It's let you get your yards to some extent, stop in the 40s. And Georgia doesn't allow that. Like, have you learned much, I guess, in your reporting? And maybe the answer is no. But, like, about that aspect of it, about, like, how Tennessee can – because Tennessee's amazing at finishing drives. I'm just curious what you take from that matchup. The coaches I've talked to think Tennessee is going to win or get close to winning. I can I and I kind of feel the same way. I feel the same way going into this game as I did going into the Bama game from a Tennessee perspective. I think Georgia matches up better. It's been interesting to talk to them because they feel very similarly to the way that I do, which is I feel like Georgia matches up with Tennessee a little bit better than Alabama does. They have a little bit of a of a more complete offense. I think the Alabama's offensive line issues I thought were really going to give them trouble in terms of just pressure and and when we saw that Bryce Young made some magical plays to They were in that game because Bryce Young's a magician. Yeah. Yes, really. I didn't think Tennessee would blitz them like that and and if they do that to Georgia I'll be a little little surprised but you Don't never really know. Yeah. But um I feel the same way in that if the turnovers are equal and Tennessee plays, you know, their a minus game they're going to be in it in the fourth quarter i think that's and then it's just who can make a play to win this game um because that, that's what i think it's going to come down to i think the line is too big uh, i think there's gonna be a lot of points not to preview our our pick of the week segment uh, at the end of the show okay. which we got we have some we have some mea culpas coming on that one brody but uh, uh <laughs> but yeah I, I i i this is just you know I'm excited. This is what I. This is the. This is the. The most fun part of the season, because right. this is when you start. We know. We pretty much know. Kind it's of. It's been eight weeks are. of asking who's good, and it's like now it's just We're like find guys, out. Yeah, yeah. Everyone. No, but even more than that, everyone's fully formed, and we get to see just like we know these are the two best teams. I feel like we're yeah. very confident in that, and it's just like we get to watch them play football. It's it's yeah. awesome. I think where I'm at is like, I think, and I, your the coaches you're talking to are probably right. And you're probably right because if there's anything I've learned the last few years, it's like it's not who's the best overall team. A lot of the times it's who is the best superpower. I think I'm coming around on that thinking. It's like, even if Georgia's better, having that offense, like Georgia's mm-hmm. defense was last year, that was the best superpower. Like this year, it's like that one superpower is more important than maybe Georgia's some of their parts. So you might yeah. be right, but my thing is, I do think Georgia's going to be able to bully them a little bit. Like they are that good up in those areas. And 
I kind of think Georgia has been able to just like try stuff, have fun with it, and like figure it out. I kind of think Georgia wins by a few scores. It's my gut feeling here. Maybe. I think you're underestimating the Rodney Garner factor. I think Tennessee's defensive line is really underrated. They got they don't I have that standout underrated. guy, but they have some really good they have a bunch of bodies. They have like eight guys that are like above average. They don't have that that you know, Will Anderson, that Jordan Davis, that guy that everybody, you know, that David and Jabo or that Aiden Hutchinson, who guy who people just like, oh my gosh, sure. this guy's unbelievable. But they got a bunch of guys, Amari Thomas, Byron Young, Tyler Barron, guys that are just like above average. I'm with and you so on we'll that see. completely. Like they and have also, people deep- People have got to stop with the Tennessee has the worst pass defense in the country. That's stuff. that is no like, longer guys, accurate. It is no guys, longer accurate. It was accurate got, going into LSU in terms barely, of the numbers, right? In, in terms of numbers, it was like that's a thing. And now we have like four games since then against Here's really the thing, good if you're teams. Beating the crap out of teams, they will throw the ball a ton on you because they're yes. behind. We got guys. Stop using total defense, total pat like. Yards I was per using attempt, like advancing efficiency, like explosiveness, like, but people, you're right. People it's are wrong. killing me with this stuff. It's like, oh, it's like Tennessee has a average defense with an above average defensive front that can cause havoc and doesn't let people run on them. That's just what they are. They're not good at corner. Or oh, they might have found some with Danico Slaughter. I wrote about that this morning at the Athletic yeah. too. We'll see. Brody, the, o- the only thing we, though, I'm I want to counter. And by the way, I want to get to your question. But like, no, last you're good. comment is, I agree with you. That D line is way underrated. But they have not faced a single team that can abuse you up front like they've placed good teams oh my god their schedule's been great but none of them are teams that True. their strength is their o-line i'm um, not saying that means they're gonna do badly yeah I just, that's the only thing on like, paper Georgia i think alabama be. should have been better than that at running the ball but they they haven't really shown yeah. that at like alabama's like 100 third and stuff rate on offense like they get mm-hmm. stuffed yeah yeah so we'll see I, I you may be right um brody yes on the opposite end of the spectrum not only to have an sec east championship game above other things above everything yeah. else You'll be in Tiger Stadium, uh, Death Valley, for the SEC West Championship game, de facto, but still. We'll see. Yeah. Ole Miss might have something to say about that, but uh, cool. certainly the team will be in the driver's seat. Last week, I, you know, I think LSU, you know, beating Ole Miss the way they did made me perk up. But I'm still not all the way in that, like, I think they can really go toe-to-toe with Alabama. I, I think Alabama, even though they're flawed, they got to go on the road again. They might have 16 penalties again. I still, I just I trust Bryce Young a lot more than I do uh, Jane Daniels. We'll see. Definitely. As we look at that game, what does LSU need to do to to not only make that game competitive but win it and really kind of like Tennessee did change the entire narrative of their entire season? Yeah, it's like there are two competing thoughts I have to like wrestle with in this game because it's like. In a lot of ways, if you're going off what LSU looks like lately, they match up well in a lot of ways. Like, not saying mm-hmm. they should be favorite God no, or anything like that, but like this should be a ball game. The other hand, there is a realistic part of this that's like, as much as Jane Daniels has turned a corner and like the last two games looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the country for two weeks, it is against two not very good defenses. It is, you know, like you do have to. This is the first time where it's like, okay, you've made these growth. Is it real? And I think that's a fair question to ask. To your question, it's like, Okay, what's LSU's biggest weakness? Passing defense. Like, you know, a great pass offense can have success. As we've talked about almost every week, and you've been on this, Alabama isn't stretching you over the top like those other teams. And it's like, LSU's pass defense is good, at you know, in, in the box and whatnot. It's just not good, you know, on the back end. Alabama's not going to beat you that way. And yeah. the weird thing with this LSU defense is, and it's why, like, data is just irrelevant this week, right, is that 
LSU changes every week who they are to some extent. Like there are weeks where you're like, man, that run game's terrible against Florida and Tennessee. And then there are games against, you know, Florida State and of course Ole Miss where they focus on the run and shut down the run and look like one of the best defenses in the SEC. Like you don't know what defense you're getting in a lot of ways. But now they found something with this Harold Perkins situation. It's like that defense can. Harold Perkins and Ojalari on the field together, which I think against a Bama matchup-wise they should be. Like that is a really good defense. But the answer to your question is, which Jaden Daniels do you get? Because if it's that Jaden Daniels, this is a top 10 LSU team, like that specific version. And that version should be like a five-point underdog, not a 13-point. You know, so there's a lot of ways I think LSU matches up well. But if Jaden Daniels isn't up to it and hasn't made that real progress, then yeah, it doesn't matter. LSU loses by 24. We got a question, well, a comment, I guess, for the chat. <clears throat> I'm going <laughs> to give it a shot at pronouncing this. I believe it's uh, Elias Gray. Ooh, so please correct us, yeah. yeah please. This is, I like LSU as a team, but this feels like a classic Nick Saban 30-point road win against a team with a newly found hope. I don't think I don't... Alabama has that in them. I don't think Alabama can Ooh. blow out really good teams. I, I just They're not a score-at-will team. They Bryce Young has a ton on his back, but, Al, but Alabama, when they play teams that are in that top third of the SEC, I just don't think they have that in them. They don't have that explosiveness to beat teams – 42-10 and, you know, 45-70. You know, I don't think that's there. I think – I feel like Alabama can win this game like 38 to maybe 34 to like 17-20 maybe. But I don't think they have that like smack you in them. I really don't. Well, I guess the question then is like do you consider LSU to be a – in the tier of like those teams we're talking about, like that can make you, but like, or are they I think you have to, because they, they have okay. enough athletes where they can't like when, when Alabama does that to teams, it's because I was going to say, do you put them closer to an Arkansas or like, it's yeah. all because it's on the line. Like when they beat the heck out of teams, it's because the quarterback snapping the ball and there's two guys in his face immediately the entire night. And Brian, the running backs are getting seven, eight yards a clip. Bryce Young is standing back there, you know, uh, hanging out, deciding what he wants to dress up as his Halloween, <clears throat> trying on a couple costumes. Yeah, trying on a couple costumes, figuring that out, and then throwing the ball downfield to a wide open receiver. LSU is not going to let him do that. Like that, I just don't think that scenario is there. I don't know that I'm, I'm believing in LSU with a real chance to win this game. It's because I don't really believe that they can they – can, they have that ability to beat the Georgias, the Tennessees, the Alabamas. I think they can hang, but I don't know that they can have that capability. I think they can they can beat the Ole Misses and the teams that are kind of in that sort of class one B sort of. But I, yeah. you know, I think because I think LSU's proven that they deserve to be in that tier. But I still don't necessarily see the the upside of that team. And and really, the wrinkle like we're leaving out is like this is Kelly's first Nick Saban matchup with an SEC roster and all Good that. Point. And, and there's a and, lot on the line. I don't think and, I thought there'd be this much on the line in this album. Exactly. And and I didn't – I have a piece coming out this week on, like, looking back at the past two Kelly-Saban matchups and obviously Bama routes Notre Dame. But, like, how much of that was Saban beating Kelly and how much is Alabama was just twice as talented as Notre Dame? We'll see. But the the, the thing that's going to be interesting, because I've been around LSU so many times where 2018 is the best example. It's actually – 2018 feels very similar to this LSU team of, like, they're good. All this hope. I think they went in that game like uh, playoff number four, and you just saw Alabama show how much more prepared they are, how much smarter they are, and just embarrassed them, annihilated them. And I wonder, like, you know, it doesn't seem like this LSU offense is like schematically brilliant or anything like that. Like, does I don't know. I don't think it happens. But can you know? Does does 
do they go up against Brian Kelly and show like, no, we've got you figured out. And that's the scenario where like, there is a possibility where they have know exactly how to defend Jane Daniels and hold them to like mm-hmm. 10 points. That is possible. So that's the only way. Cause I I'm with you in the principle that like, I don't think Bama's putting up 42 this week. I would be pretty surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Brody, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb again. It's going to be a good game. I'm excited to see it. <laughs> I, don't know. I actually do think this will be a good game. Like, I, 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 I'll be intrigued by it. I, I think it's going to be a, you know, a tight game in the first half, and then Bama wins it. They kind of keep him at arm's length. You know, uh, yeah, the kind of game where you're like always within 7 to 10. Yeah, kind of something like that. That's where it yeah. kind of feels like we're going to be, where like LSU sort of acquits themselves but never really puts Bama in the, oh, no, we're going to lose this game exactly. mode. Where it's like you know we'll we'll see which which LSU that feels a lot like take. that feels like a lot of the LSU Bama games over the years honestly where yeah. it's like even when LSU had better teams and we had better Alabama teams because I don't think this is, this this is an Alabama team that's very confusing because they I do think they still do have you know we'll see Will Anderson hasn't had quite the year that people thought he would have but Bryce Young's still one of if not the best overall players in the country. But the, there's just not a, man. This Bama team doesn't have a ton that excites you compared to other Bama teams. So we'll see. Walt Clark in the uh, says there should be a rule that LSU can't be a double digit home dog in a night game. Seems impossible. Fair point. The only thing I'm interested though, and I think I talked about this before, like the first like seven weeks of the year, Tiger Stadium just was not Tiger Stadium. It was kind of weird. And I'm like, like I, I'm a firm believer Tiger Stadium is probably number one when it's rocking of like toughest place to play. But, like, it hadn't been that. Ole Miss during the day, it looked better. But I do want to see. Like, it's a call out to Tiger Stadium, man. Like, I want to see it rocking because I like watching a good crowd. Because that is a factor. But at the same time, I've always had a long belief that because LSU never beat Bama, like, the first, like, for, like, 11 years, 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. That Alabama always does well in Tiger Stadium because Nick Saban's going to get them up for that. He's going to get them rallied for that. Like Nick Saban knows how to play in Tiger Stadium. He thrives there. And I always predicted that the one time LSU would win would be in Tuscaloosa because that's maybe when you can catch them. And that's exactly what happened. So I don't really have a point to that, but I'm just intrigued (laughs) to to see because it's like 13 and a half does seem like too much, right? Yeah. It kind of does. But to our point, this game's hard to figure out. I feel like LSU needs to lean in, by the way, in their uh, game environment. And I feel like in pregame introductions or in a pregame hype video, they need to lean in and embrace the my family aspect of the right game. I'd like to see that personally. I, I just I feel like because they've been so good on the field, a lot of the offseason stuff with the dancing and the family and all that has has, be, has sort of redeemed itself even though like the general college football fan brian kelly's probably not their favorite head coach more likely than not like when they're good that stuff seems a little bit more uh uh endearing i suppose yes and more like funny rather than like oh is this gonna be a disaster that's true like in february it was like oh no what's this now <laughs> yeah like, it's like i did notice those first like few months you would notice he used the word family like Twenty percent more than a normal person would, because it was like almost like guys, this is how I say family. Like it was like trying to really get it out there. Like it wasn't <laughs> obvious, but it was just a few more families to be like, I I know what you guys are talking about. Here. Speaking of families, Brody, we got to talk about the family of coaches. Yes. From the, uh, I guess Lane Kiffin considers himself to be part of the Saban coaching tree. I guess he picks I, and chooses. Yeah. When I suppose you could say that. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, Jimbo Fisher um, had some had some harsh words 
for Nick Saban over the offseason. I don't know if you guys heard about this. Have you seen this? Uh, <laughs> had some harsh words. And after the game, Lane Kiffin, after beating uh, Texas A&M to send them further down a bit of a spiral, uh, had some had some interesting comments. Uh, Producer John, do we have that clip for us? Yeah, I mean, I don't give you coach speak, so yeah, it's real. I mean, those coaches say you know, say no, but yeah, that's real. And someone attacks you personally, and you know, calls you and a good buddy, Coach Saban, that were both clowns. Um, you know, you take that personal. So glad we won. Guess I can be a clown for Halloween now. Ah, Brody, first of all, I just would like to take a second once again. To just be very thankful that the SEC has Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach as head coaches, and not only that, but in one state, I'm so glad Lane Kiffin is back in the SEC. And Jimbo, by the way, let's not rule out like yeah, Jimbo <laughs> left and right, like it's incredible. Yeah, it's so good. Like, I, like, listen, there is certainly a lot of egos when it comes to these coaches, and and there's a lot of coach speak outside. And of Beamer, Lane. by the way, I'm just thinking of all like, yes. the people who are just saying stuff left and right. Yeah, Beamer taking shots at Stoops last. Drinkwitz week will drop a dart ago. every now and then. Yeah. you know the yeah. Drinkwitz uh, Darth Vader a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but the I, I it was very interesting to me because it it almost came out of nowhere a little bit. Because I had kind of forgotten about it, and I don't necessarily associate Lane Kiffin with Nick Saban because yeah. Lane Kiffin has done so many other things in his life. I'd be interested, you know, I don't know Lane well at all, but, you know, the Nick Saban chapter of his life seems uh, like a chapter of his life. And I wonder if he sort of sees that more as a, as a turning point for him. I just think of Lane, you know, there's Raiders coach Lane and there's USC Wonderkind Lane and He's then Pete there's Carroll. Tennessee. Pete yeah. And there's 10, there's 10. Yeah. And then there's Tennessee coach Lane. And then there's, you know, obviously the Raiders didn't go well um, uh, or the USC situation didn't yeah. go well for him. Um, some, some weird circumstances there. And then he kind of goes to Alabama and then you see the reboot and then he kind of gets his swag back at FAU. Uh, now, obviously he's got Ole Miss absolutely on fire. Um, so I don't, I, I was surprised that he came that hard, like in the, in the post game, even with kill cubic on TV, he does that. He reiterates it. Props to lane again, yeah. like, Honesty is good. Like, if you feel a way, say it. Like, you know, I don't have a problem with Jimbo, you know, going out in the offseason and saying, I don't appreciate them saying we bought every guy, even though that's yeah. not illegal. That's for the, like, again, like, I think there's an, there's an ego, there's an ego aspect to it. Um, but I, it's, it's interesting. Like, Lane, this feels like Tennessee Lane, where he's back, you know, Stepping in some fights, and uh, oh, yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate oh, it. It makes it it's more been, interesting. I've been studying, not studying, been following this for a little bit. Like, Lane Kiffin's in this weird zone. I mean, he's the most outspoken guy on issues right now, kind of. Like, in, I remember mm-hmm. media days, he was just, like, the one one of the main guys just being like, hey, here's exactly what's wrong with NIL. And, like, guys are getting bought. Here's what's wrong with, the like, all this. And, like, he's just kind of outspoken on a lot of stuff. But there's this weird thing with him where it's not like Jimbo, say, being like, I'm upset and I want to get mad. Like, I want to yell about this. And it's not even like some other guys where it's like, watch this. There's this level with Lane Kiffin right now of this dry, I just don't careness. Like, it's, I don't even feel like it's him trying to be like, watch this. I think he just doesn't care anymore. And you see it all the time. And it's like, 
he even said he's like yeah a lot of coaches would say you know no no it doesn't bother me but it's like yeah it does like it's it's dry and unemotional it's like i mean after the kentucky game when he's like yeah scangarello said like send the pressure you know i welcome it well we got a lot of pressure on it and that was just like he's just he's so sick of this like era of like let's be corporate and good it's just like yeah man like and he's not making it a big thing though it's just like yeah I guess we're all clowns, whatever. And I, I don't know. I kind of enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's an honesty to it. I mean, it was the same thing as like the the stuff with with Tennessee last year, you know, with the the golf ball and the mustard bottle and all that stuff. <clears throat> you know, I think there's some coaches that would sort of get sanctimonious and talk about, hey, you know, our players were in danger, which you know may have been true, but he's pulling out the golf ball and and yep. and making light of the whole thing. I believe he caught a water bottle on the way out. Yeah. And uh, our friend Elias says he's a very good troll over in the yeah. comments. But I don't know that a lot of it even is even trolling. I feel like a lot of it is just sort of, you know, taking the, some things in stride. And I think that's a better way to put it. Yeah, Maybe it's a step too far. I don't know that he would say he's defending somebody that maybe he would say that he loves Nick Saban. I guess barely he would. Uh, he certainly helped his career quite a bit. Um, but I think he's just defending somebody. I'm sure, you know, if somebody came after – you know, our bosses, uh, I would, that, that helped, you know, that helped our career. I'd feel some type of way about it as well. And, and, you know, we've done that a time or two over the, uh, over the years Absolutely. at the athletic, you come for one of us, you come for all of us. So I think there's an element of that. Yes. Um, so and either way, like, wait, how much do you think it. is also like, not even as directly I'm defending Saban and it is obviously some of that, but like, I bet the SEC just fell in the different camps. And I think God, I'm trying to like see if I should say this. I think we're finding out that like most of the coaches aren't that big, big of fans of Jimbo. Like, and like all these guys are saying all this stuff and are just, and he's, they're just like, what, what are you talking about, dude? Like, I kind of feel like it's a little bit of just, all right, Jimbo, like, shush. I don't know. Even more than like, <laughs> defend saving. Maybe it's possible. It's possible. Speaking of Jimbo, Brody, you're teeing up all these segues. Uh, Brody. Carlson setting screens, baby. That's who I am on this A&M podcast. With their most encouraging loss of the season, a very expensive loss. Uh, we're still paying, you know, uh, nine million dollars a year for for Chippo to uh, be frantically chasing a bowl game here at the end of the season. But Connor Wigman, Brody, we yeah. saw some things. I'm not all in, but for a true freshman to be in that system, which is notoriously difficult. Uh, he was doing some stuff. Uh, I liked what I saw leaning on Evan Stewart, who is a bona fide stud, but I like what we saw from Connor Wegman, uh, five-star guy. I think clearly he's your guy moving forward. Yeah. You haven't seen much of anything out of Haynes King all year. Max Johnson's been hurt, obviously. <clears throat> I mean, Wegman seems like he's the future. We'll see, but especially when you're where Jimbo's at, where, you know, last week I went on, uh, Fine bomb. I always get weirded out when people like aggregate what you say or trim it down. And there was like an ESPN video last week when I went on Fine Bomb of A and why A and M is bad vibe central. It was like running on the it was like running on the on the video at the top of the page for like their players getting suspended and like all the A and M stories for the week. And I was like, oh, that's not great. But like. They have been bad vibe central, like I said. Behind you said it. it's on the record now. It is no I longer being I wasn't, I wasn't falsely aggregated. I wasn't prepared for it to get a life to, to gain a life of its own, but it's true. For as many bad vibes as AM has had, even in a loss, 
that your five-star quarterback shows some stuff, you're kind of like, okay, like, yeah. all right, Connor Wegman, we need to get Ari on here to talk about uh, to talk about his love for for Wegman. Quinn Ewers was his was his crush earlier in the season. I think he may have transferred it over uh, to Mr. Connor Wegman. What did you make of five-star polyamorous? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, I thought he looked. The offense clearly, even like you said, it was broad. Had, didn't you know some sharpness wasn't there? You expect that, but like that offense clearly had more punch. Like there's just no mm-hmm. way to go around that. Like. And sometimes it's like even the misses just looked better. The misses were like beautifully thrown balls that, hey, we're just an inch off or like a little too hard, but that's fine. Like that's going to get better. But so you had an actual threat in like the on the sideline, downfield a little bit. And you notice, at least in that first half, you really notice that open it up for the run game even more. I mean, that first mm-hmm. two, they scored the first two drives, right? Or two of the first three. And you're like, oh, shoot, this team really figured it out. And yeah, as you'd expect, you know, it kind of cratered and they'll end up losing. But like you said, it was a you come out of that game much, even though it's a loss to a team that in theory you hope you can beat. It's like you come out of that game so much more positive because he does look ready. He does look like a guy who really elevates you. And he looks like a guy who's going to be really, really good, say, next year with five starts under his belt, six starts and a loaded roster around him. But it's like I even saw this in a new offensive system. We'll see. Uh, but like I, I even saw it happening on that second touchdown drive. I'm like, oh man, they're gonna finish the year like seven and five or six and six, and we're gonna be like, man, it's looking better, and we're gonna rank them fifth in the preseason again. Like it's gonna happen. Oh, we do this every time. You can't you can't hide from the talent. There was an element of letter rip that was has not been there. Perfect way to put it. Yeah. Maybe even maybe even going back to Killin' Mod, even in Killin' Mod's best year in 2020, there wasn't an element of letter rip. And I think that when you can do that and you make teams like AM has not made teams respect them downfield at all. Like it's a lot of check down. It's a lot of, uh, you know, really run tough 10 yard passes. Yeah. Run 12 yards and sit in the middle of the zone. We'll hit you. And then you go like everything has just been so hard. And I, again, like when you have a kid like Evan Stewart, they have put so much on him this season. Oh, you're a true freshman, you know, uh, please be our leading receiver, our only real downfield threat. And he's answered the bell. Like, he hasn't been consistent every single game, in part because he hasn't had guys to get him the ball. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we talked about last week, hey, these guys are going to be getting calls in the offseason. It's the portal era. You have to re-recruit your roster. That's the reality. Tampering's going to happen. And when you got Connor Wegman winging you the ball and letting you make incredible one-handed catches in the back of the end zone, if I'm Evan Stewart – that's a great point. If I had any, if I had any thoughts about, man, I don't know if I want to do this for three or four years. But I feel a lot better after Saturday night, and that is a powerful thing. Nothing, nothing helps your vibes of your program, the trajectory of your program more than a young quarterback who shows some flashes. And goodness gracious, today and M need some good vibes. And no, that's a really, really good point. That like. The way it looks like the season's setting up to end, and God, we are not trying to get ahead of ourselves. But like, I do think they're probably better than Florida, right? I think they probably beat Florida, uh, and then I think after that they have what? Uh, they have Auburn. After that, they should beat Auburn. Obviously, it's a And M. They're a mess. They could lose both those games. But like, if then you beat UMass, it's like okay, six and six. You win three of the last four. What Wegman does look good. I think that's a huge point that like you will probably have a buzz around you that will keep a lot of those young guys because they mm-hmm. all are friends too. Like they probably do want to play together more than they don't. That's why they joined this absurd class in the first place aside from, you know, other things. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think that's a really good point. And I mean, he'd look good. I'm all, I'm in. 
Uh, by the well, way, Walter says AM <laughs> hasn't let it rip since week one. Wonder if Kenny Trill. You're not wrong. And even that's Kenny yeah. Sullen, baby. Kevin Sullen. So yeah. yeah. Jim by the way, there. I ran into I ran into Kenny Trill uh in at the AFCA convention uh in January and talked to him for a little bit. He's doing good. He was at the time he was kind of um uh so at the changeover at TCU, he was quarterback's coach, or I believe he's I can't remember what position he was coaching at TCU under Gary Patterson. And then Sonny Dykes came in and did not retain him, but he ended up getting a job. He's a quality control guy out at Cal. I texted him today. Congrats. Kenny Trill, man, quite a, quite a turnaround for him. Uh, A great career there at TCU. And now he's moving into coaching. So hopefully that, that goes well for him. I always listen uh, with a shout out to uh, the uh, inimitable uh, David Roth. I'm always here to remember some guys and Kenny Trill. uh, Listen, Love the man. Love the man. Uh, fantastic college football player. Uh, very, very fun player. Speaking of less fun, Brody, we got to talk about our picks, man. Just a bit outside. Uh, we were together on Kentucky keeping it close. Yes. Uh, they did rough. not. They did not. We only, To be fair, we only missed that pick by 24 points. So you're talking about i'd rather be re- if i'm wrong i'd rather be wrong man like especially in the real betting world like if they lost by 15 <laughs> you'd be so mad it's like all right yeah got it wrong first quarter move on well, listen you're three touchdowns and three three uh two-point conversions away from getting that push so you know next time maybe next time uh and then brody you also threw in a bonus pick uh of a&m plus two by five did i, I do two and a half I, oh, oh yes. man, i thought it was I three Last week, what a push. I needed somebody to explain to me why they didn't think Ole Miss was just going to run A&M. They did not win as emphatically as I thought they would, but they were still clearly the better team in that ball game. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, nice bounce back from Ole Miss. Um, but, Brody, let's get to this week's picks. Yes. Um, last week was bad. Let's be not bad this week. How about that? <laughs> let's. We'd be good coaches, like a halftime speech. Stop being <laughs> bad. Guys. Have you uh, well? So yeah, uh, my my wife is a therapist, and I always tell her whenever she gets home, and we're talking about like, um, uh, you know, I said, have you ever considered just telling people to stop doing that? And she's, like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. and she's like, she's like, no, that 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 usually doesn't come up. I'm like, you should try it sometime. Honestly, like, like you don't know it doesn't work yet. <laughs> I've done this thing lately where I just tell my dog stop being fat, and even though How's I'm that the one. Going? I'm the one giving them too much food. So it's nobody like it's, we are the coach saying, just be better. Like, Hey, stop being fat. And it hasn't worked. Yeah, There's still too fat. many blue oak barbecue chicken sandwiches. I think Ooh, yeah, they get some good scraps here. For sure. <laughs> Bulldogs, man. Brody, what do you got for us this week? I, I don't like, I feel like last week I wanted to take four this week. I don't really like that many, but I'm going to go Mississippi state minus 11 and a half over Auburn home game. You know, I thought Auburn was going to give Arkansas a better fight than it did last week and i was kind of like all right you know maybe they're kind of turning it around they did not even that 14 points makes it look a little closer than it was i feel like so i think mississippi state routes i think mississippi state kind of reminds everyone like they are pretty good you know they are Mm -hmm. so i like them there it's a good spot how about you uh every week i wonder how is auburn gonna move the ball tank bigsby is really good he's so good and i feel bad for him it's just a bad situation for him i like that pick but Brody, big number in uh, in Tennessee, Georgia, sixty five and a half. I'm taking it. I'm taking it over. I'm with you. I first of all, I, I I certainly 
Georgia will be able to put some points on the board here. I think they won't be quite as explosive as we've talked about uh, this week. But Tennessee's going to be able to score some points too. I don't know what their team total is. I'm guessing somewhere 28 and a half, 29 and a half. I'd look very closely at that as well. Yeah. Tennessee might give up 45, but I've said it all year. I don't think anybody in the country can keep Tennessee under 30. And I think that includes Georgia. I think that includes literally everyone. That might include, uh, you know, a number of NFL teams. Brody. Yes. Uh, but that Tennessee is going to put some points on the board in this game. They might give up a bunch, but I just don't see that game staying under. So I'm going to go. I'm going to take those big points. Uh, Elias says Kentucky minus two and a half at Missouri feels like it might be an over adjustment. I, I kind of agree. I think Kentucky is just a much better team than Missouri is right now. I'm, I'm, uh, I was going to make that mine, but I was too scared because last Saturday was just that ugly where I'm like, road dog, am road I just or home dogs, man. Yeah. Home dogs. But Missouri is like, careful. there's always like, I think it was South Carolina, but now Missouri is officially the leader of the like, just weirdly competent all-stars, you know, where it's like mm-hmm. no world are reclaiming that they're good, but they play everyone competitively. They they've had some nice wins. Like it's like Missouri. So that's the only reason holding me back. But I'm by the way, Elias, you have to tell us if we're right because you're asking great questions this week. And we want that's you true. back next week. So if we find out <laughs> we've been saying your name wrong for like an hour, I'm gonna never Please forgive do. myself. But we're around. I am the, with you, Elias. Uh, I think you know, this is the same Missouri team that obviously did push Georgia to the brink. Georgia probably should have lost that game. Mm-hmm. Uh very uh they, they needed a little bit of magic to get out of there. But I think Kentucky, that's a good pick. I think Kentucky can can uh, uh, bully them a little bit. But, um, yeah. So I'm taking, again, Tennessee, Georgia, over 65 and a half. I love it, man. Brody likes 11 and a half for Mississippi State. I like that pick. Uh, and, of course, our friend Elias, Kentucky, two and a half. Yeah, let's start keeping yeah. track of Elias as well. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. It's been a fun week. Appreciate Seth Emerson joining us again we got a lot of good stuff coming. This is a huge week in the SEC, and we will be there to um, – uh, We got it right. Well, see, here's what I, Elias says we got it right. Listen, because Alias, nobody's going to name their child Alias. You wouldn't right? think so unless they just huge Jennifer Garden. Jennifer Garden yeah, fans, nobody's yeah. going to do that because naming your child Alias – Technically allows them to just call themselves literally anything because uh, maybe if you're just like police. I don't know where you're from, but maybe if you're just absurdly southern, your parents want to name you Alias, like Alias yeah, coming over. Yeah, like you I know, like but that. I don't but think that's it. Elias is an actual name, and I thought maybe they just spelled it different. So listen, that's I'm a cool gonna, spelling. I'm all in. I yeah. should get credit for uh, that. Should erase our bad pick last week for for Kentucky. Um, so we'll see. But <laughs> thank you guys again. It's gonna be a huge week. Uh, listen to the Andy Staples show feed. We'll have plenty of that on the feed and on YouTube here. And then, of course, on theathletic.com. Subscribe if you are not a, already a subscriber. I've got some good stories coming up. Brody will have you. Aaron Suttles, our Alabama writer. We're covered all over the place. Uh, I will be in uh, Athens this week. Joe Rexford will be there as well. Seth Emerson, of course. Huge week. We got you covered on every angle. So thank you guys for tuning in. We will see you again next week. Brody, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yes, we are. Back to two massive, massive games and two division races that are about to get a lot of clarity. So we'll see you guys. Enjoy the playoff rankings. Enjoy our content. We'll see you next week.